I'm Aaron. I'm Camille. And this is It's All Mahalo. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. This is episode three. This week, Aaron and I talk about psychological safety, death, and how change is dot 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 good? Question mark. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy. Here we go. (laughs) Hey Camille. Hey Aaron. Happy Sunday. (laughs) Happy Sunday. (laughs) You're mad at me because this is the third time we're starting. Yes, but let's do this. (laughs) Okay. All right. Instead of trying to do small talk like we were just trying to do, we're just going to jump right in. And Camille, tell us something you learned this week. Go the distance for the things you love. So this relates to... Go the distance. (laughs) Mr. Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. Great movie. All should watch. Camille, (laughs) what does that mean? So this has to do with my plants recently starting to die. Not all of them. Oh only like God. two or three. <laughs> Not all of them, no. Um, so two or three of them started kind of looking like sad guys. <laughs> and so I got, I also became a sad guy. <laughs> so Aaron suggested I watch some videos on how to save my sad guy plants. <laughs> and so I watched some videos and I found out that the the pots themselves weren't draining not straining draining enough water essentially my point is if you love something enough you will go the distance to try to figure out you know what's going on with them so like in this case it's my plants but it could also be a million other things yeah and sometimes going the distance is as simple as going on youtube Mm -hmm. sometimes youtube is the end it's like that's it that's as far as you have to go yeah and so essentially I my story is just trying to get at the underlying theme of like pushing yourself to follow through instead of thinking you're not fit enough for it or you mm. just can't do it. Yeah. That's kind of cool. That kind of ties into um something I learned this week in my perspectives on leadership course. So we learned about psychological safety. And Tell psych- us what that is. Psychological Aaron. safety, <laughs> I will if you don't mind. Um don't mind if I do. Psychological safety is being able to show and employ oneself without fear of negative consequences of self-image, status, or career. Also, a team is safe for interpersonal risk-taking. Explain further, please. <laughs> so this this class, Perspectives on Leadership, is all about trying to learn what makes a good leader and what makes a good team and what makes good followers. And... This concept is really interesting because it's basically like when you're in a team or when you're in a meeting and you're trying to get the most out of your followers, I don't want to say the people below you, um, because really like, you know, a leader works for their followers and, a, and the followers work for their leader. And it's kind of this beautiful it's a bi-directional, relationship. Yeah, it's a bi-directional relationship. It's not one per. It's not no power dynamic necessarily. It's people working together to reach an end goal yeah so exactly and the the there is slight power dynamic because the leader is responsible for ensuring psychological safety in the team Mm. so what the leader allows to be said what the leader how the leader responds to what is said all of this factors into whether people are going to share um share things about like you know mistakes or questions or concerns and all of this stuff can lead to a more productive team, can lead to more risk-taking, more thinking outside of the box, more creative thinking, all this kind of stuff. So basically, an example, if somebody 
says something and their idea is immediately shot down by their boss, they're way less likely to share it again. So a good leader is somebody who allows different thoughts enter the room. Yeah, this kind of ties into what we were talking about last week in terms of um, believing your idea is good enough so that you follow through on it and not just shooting it down immediately and thinking that other people have just as good of an idea or even better. Uh, so I think that if you, if the leaders create a work environment where they're, the employees or that team feel safe enough to share whatever they're thinking, that already is a huge step forward in allowing your team to be as creative as possible to uh, make leaps forward to where they're trying to be as a company or as a unit. Yeah, it's like being able to share without being shamed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and this, I mean, of course, this works for leaders and followers, but this also really works well for interpersonal relationships of any kind Mm -hmm. so like my relationship with you so a good example of this is i was gluten-free for a while and so camille never made anything that had gluten in it she never made pasta or bread or anything like that and the one morning we had eggs and avocado and i usually just eat eggs and avocado but she made toast for herself and i was our staple breakfast (laughs) (laughs) this is our staple either toast or arepas but anyways should we explain what arepas are? Sure. So arepas are pretty much just corn patties. Very, very traditional Hispanic thing that you make for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> They're delicious. I don't really know how, how They're else like to it's like a it. corn pancake. Yeah. That's it's not really sweet. Good. Yeah, but you make it salty. It's not sweet. Yeah. Savory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Looks just like a pancake though. Yeah. So anyways, Camille makes toast that has gluten in it normal bread and but it's ezekiel bread so it's not just normal bread right 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 so it's good (laughs) anyways back to the point you didn't offer me any and i was like hey could i have some toast and you're like i thought you were gluten-free and so she didn't even think about asking if i wanted any toast because in the past if she would have asked if i wanted toast i would have been like what i don't eat toast come on you should know by now Mm -hmm. so i didn't do a good job of creating a psychologically safe environment when it came to gluten or whatever but like this is what can happen in any relationship Mm -hmm. and this is just one example of things that can happen in work environments also and kind of i don't want to jump around a little bit but in my human factors design class we talk about like workplace environment uh high risk environment stuff like that and so in a work environment the top priority for designers is to try to create an environment in which workers are highly productive and efficient when they're in the office. So if that is the leader's number one goal, it's productivity, efficiency, but it's not necessarily to ask how their the employees or their te- the other members on their team are doing, then that psychological safety won't be there, which is, I, I think it's really important to note because if that isn't there in a relationship with you know, boyfriend, girlfriend in my and Aaron's case or in a working environment, I feel like that is a really big piece that is going to be lacking in your team's ability to create whatever, like whatever their goal is. So within any good team is the possibility to innovate. And when a leader doesn't ever open the door or open the possibilities for their team members to innovate, they're almost handicapping themselves in a way. You know, it's like they, they can't move forward Um, as far as they would want to or as far as they possibly could because they don't have this opportunity for people to take risks to people to ask questions people to be curious and you kind of just get stuck I mean this happens in class too it's like if a a good professor makes sure people are allowed to ask questions 
but a bad professor is one who whenever somebody asks a question they bite your head off yeah and i i think it's important for professors to be able to take feedback because if that person who is seen as your authority figure isn't capable of taking and receiving feedback I feel like it just completely changes the environment of a classroom of a workplace of just anything of and and for on the interpersonal level of our relationship like if Camille is telling me look you didn't allow for an environment for me to share or to ask you if you wanted gluten and I'm like what are you talking about like you just ask and I don't take the feedback (laughs) then and she's laughing because, like, that's how I sound sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but, yeah, so everybody needs to be able to take feedback. Everybody needs to be able to create an environment that's safe. But the other thing is, some like, a leader could create an environment that's almost too open, right? So this mm-hmm. is also dangerous. It's like driving a, a van full of people and taking your hands off the wheels and just letting it run its course and letting people say whatever they want. So it's this fine line between managing the conversation and allowing it to unfold. This kind of reminds me of The Office, Michael Scott, <laughs> if anyone is aware. I feel like in the very in the beginning of the series, Michael was really into seeing his um, people who he was supposed to be managing as his friends. And then he kind of learned as he went on to not just see them as his friends, but see them as people he was kind of in charge of to manage to make sure that that work environment was going well and I feel like toward the middle slash end of the series he was able to grow um, as an individual to be able to create that work environment that was open for people to share but not to take advantage of him as someone who was just trying to be friends with everyone that was such a polite and respectful take on Michael Scott. (laughs) I've never heard because most people are like, Michael Scott is like the ultimate, like bad manager because he, he, he's really bad at toward the end. He became such a good manager. You're you're actually right. Yeah. A lot of people just focus on those first, you know, five, six seasons, but really like towards that end, he He became like everyone's dad. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody like respected him in a way that they didn't respect him. Otherwise they knew who he was and they knew, they knew just, he was, michael and he but he did actually allow for a safe environment you know yeah but i think it, it it's also important to note that like being able to see that leader's point of view on how hard it is to, to create that mm-hmm. environment is so important because if you like as a worker like i remember i used to work in a restaurant and my boss my manager sometimes she was hard on like me and my coworkers, but at the same time i had the respect to know that it wasn't her trying to be rude or and it wasn't me needing to take things personal. It was just her trying her best to do her job on a Sunday during rush hour when we have 20 people waiting to be seated and she's stressed because she's trying to manage all the servers, all the busboys, all the dishwashers, everyone in the kitchen. That's a really stressful job. And if someone reacts to me in a way that like if I get confused and doesn't create that psychological safety for me once or twice, it's in my, it's my job to make sure that I don't completely allow that one or two times, those one or two times to overcome the rest of my experience in my job. Yeah. And this is the thing. She was thrown into this managerial position. Maybe she wanted it. Maybe she was just the most qualified person for the job. But everybody should be working on their leadership skills in this way because everybody in each relationship they have can be a leader. 
So in my relationship with Camille or in my relationship with te- my teammates, like I can be a leader by ensuring that there is this kind of safety where people are allowed to share their opinions without being, you know, berated for their ideas. Mm-hmm. And also just creating that environment allows people to be comfortable enough to ask questions also. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So this is a really, really cool thing that I had happen this week. So Aubrey Marcus did a podcast recently with Alex Benayan and they recorded it a few, you know, like a couple months ago, but they just released it this Wednesday. It's Aubrey Marcus podcast number 229 and they did this kind of Q&A. And so on Twitter, what they did was they're like, hey, anybody have questions? We're going to record this podcast tomorrow. And I was like, eh, what the heck? I'll, uh, I'll send a question in. So I asked, many believe that having an understanding and even a fear of death can ignite a sense of urgency, leading you to live a more fulfilling life. To what extent is fear is fearing death a good thing? And when does it get in the way? So I asked this question and Aubrey and Alex started talking about fear a little bit. And then Aubrey asked Alex this question and they shouted me out and they went on to talk for over 45 minutes on the Aubrey Marcus podcast about death and fear and life and love and all these other beautiful things. It was a really, really awesome conversation. And it all stemmed from this question that I asked. And they were at the end, they were like, Alex was like, thank you so much, like Aubrey for allowing this space. And oh, thanks to who was it? Lemon? Like he, <laughs> they literally like thanked me on the podcast. This was the longest Aubrey Marcus podcast ever. And like my question was literally a 45 minute chunk of it. It was so, so, so cool. And that has to make you feel good too, right? Because yeah. that makes you have that like tying into what we were talking about before, that psychological safety that you are comfortable enough to ask questions to someone you don't even know. Yeah. And this is, yeah, exactly. So oh, yeah, it's Twitter and it's like, whatever, but it's, it is the same thing. It's like, I know that I could ask Aubrey a question about death and fear of death and Alex too. It's like, I know I can ask them a question, even though it's on Twitter and they're going to receive it and be like, wow, like that's so insightful. Let's actually dive into this. But you, you literally never know what can happen if you don't ask questions. Mm -hmm. And that also helps you grow a little, a little more also. And it allows you to be curious and learn more than you think you initially would have if you didn't ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, I mean, this whole conversation like Alex and Aubrey both shared these really personal accounts of how people in their life died and then how they came to the understanding of what death means for them. But this wasn't, I mean, they didn't just stop at dying and what death means. They went into like fear of dying. They went into what dying means. They went in to talk about like how you die is you live or you die how you live. So, if you are a person who is persistent and who, you know, like is loving t- to the end, you're going to die a loving death. But if you are angry and bitter towards the end, you're like, you're probably going to hang on for a long time. Like you're probably going to be in a coma for like five days. You know, it was like, this is just like an example, but they had this really beautiful conversation. It was because I was free to ask a question about death, which is something I think about a lot. Ever since I took philosophy of death in the spring, and then I had a couple of people close to me pass away. It's like, I, I think about this stuff a lot. Cause if, if at the end you're going to die, mm-hmm. how much do these little things really matter? Yeah. And I, I think 
we both have two different but also the same perspectives on this one topic because I was in a different position to where my mom ever since I was younger would always give me little hints of like well one day I'm not going to be here anymore and although that's a really heavy thing to tell a child it's still something that needs to be said and not many people have the space to say it and like it was said on Aubrey Aubrey's podcast like if there is a space to to talk about death it's not a cool space you know and so I think just allowing it to just at least be a little a little more normalized I think will allow that conversation to happen a little bit more yeah this is I mean we read we read this piece called uh from Kubler-Ross in Philosophy of Death and it was like we live and she said we live in a death denying culture she was a nurse and she she worked with like nurses but doctors would just ignore the fact that people are going to die even in their last their last days of life like they're clearly on their way out and the doctors would just like kind of not pretend they weren't and then they were just still dosing the same amount and everything like that but really it's like you know this is the big lie the lie is that you're not going to die and it's kind of fueled by this our capitalistic society where we have to buy things so companies don't want you to remember you're going to have you're going to die because if you actually start thinking about it then why are you buying all of this stuff that doesn't matter why are you filling your home with um, new appliances and new gadgets and new toys that like really won't satisfy you this is the illusion that you can buy things and they will make you happy when at the end of it all the only thing you're going to have when you leave this earth is yourself and no like no big corporation wants to really talk about that and then it leads to this culture because you know the whole the market and corporations kind of fuel our culture and it leads to this culture where we don't talk about death you know we just had this past week was you know halloween and november and all saints day and all souls day and day of the dead and like the American culture does a horrible job of honoring the dead. There was something you kind of said earlier that I want to backtrack a little bit on, which was in terms of like blocking yourself off to the possibility that like we won't die, like just not thinking about it at all, thinking we're Mm -hmm. invincible. And that's kind of the same with like therapy in a way, like mental health counseling. The counselor in some, in some sense has to, put that boundary there so that they don't feel what their patients or clients feel and I feel like that can kind of connect to doctors not having that extra compassion to realize that that person that they have been taking care of is going to die Mm -hmm. but in some sense like in some sense I think that 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 could be seen as wrong like why do you not want to acknowledge that that person isn't going to be a person? They're, not that they're not going to be a person anymore, but that they're not going to be living anymore. Yeah, I mean, in this class, I know I've been talking about it a lot, but we talked about end-of-life medical care for like a good month. And it was really impactful because you realize that these doctors aren't trained on how to tell people that they're dying. And they're not trained to deal with people in the family who you know know they're dying. Nowadays, it's much better, but... I mean, just think about it. Like somebody goes in for a routine checkup, then they are in the hospital for a few days getting scans and the doctor has to tell them they have pancreatic cancer. It's like, that is not an easy job. And so how, how does the doctor have compassion 
without being so emotionally destroyed by this fact. So it's like this very weird relationship with death that these physicians and these mental health counselors have. Mm-hmm. And it's, I I think that you, like mental health counselors don't necessarily have to, maybe some do uh, specialize in counseling people who have just received news that, you know, mm-hmm. they have cancer or something yeah. like that. But I feel like there's many degrees to it. Like just dealing with people who are going through things that are hard. I feel like people don't really like to talk about things that are hard. And for that reason alone, it's because they're hard. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you, there, right behind you, there's a, a sign and it's made out of license plates and it says yeah. sunny. Yeah. And this is this is kind of like, I'm not saying that things aren't sunny, but sometimes nobody, people don't spend time on these real aspects of life and they just say, oh, everything's fine. Everything's happy. Everything's good. It's like, yeah, it is. But how much more happy and joyful will it be if you realize what's to come? And that kind of goes into, like, the fact that it's okay to be sad sometimes. Yeah. You know, like, this like this past week has just been, like, really stressful for me. And I've had a lot of work. And then yesterday I just started feeling sad. And I didn't know, I didn't really know why, you know. And I started thinking about you know again like loved ones that I've lost and being far away from home and just all the work I had to do and I just kind of had to ground myself in the fact that like it's okay to be sad sometimes and a lot like if I give myself the ability to sit in my sadness for a little while and just take in all the emotions that I'm feeling and be aware of all of them then it will allow me to heal a little bit better and also be able to fully um understand what's going on in my emotions and in myself so that I can overcome them in a way that isn't necessarily pushing them away it's allowing myself to heal yeah I mean we talked about this a little bit last week where I was sad and I didn't let myself be sad so I would get angry instead and I would mask it but yeah I mean Camille it's so meaningful what you just said it's like just let yourself be in that emotion for a little bit don't rush out of it. If you rush out of it, you're going to get hurt again. You're not going to be able to uh, to heal. And that healing process won't you know, fully take in. So I'm really interested in, in medicine, but not just like pharmaceutical drugs, but medicine that heals. Like I think medicine is what works. And what works is what can heal you. And that and, could be anything ranging from like music, like not going medicine for the people. Yeah, or exactly. Painting. Painting. Drinking a cup of coffee waking up and drinking a glass of water and just feeling it rush into every single cell of your body going for a walk literally walking a dog dogs Dogs. (laughs) (laughs) petting a dog you knew that was gonna happen (laughs) yes so yeah but but medicine like there's a lot of things in life that can heal you but if you don't let yourself be hurt and you don't let yourself be sad you're never you're not gonna let healing come in Mm mm-hmm that was good. I don't know what to add. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and people try to tell you, you know, don't worry, be happy. Like life is good. All this stuff. When really like it's being that being sad is a big part of life. And it gives you a perspective to look at the rest of life. Now, one reason that people get sad is when things change because we have the, we like this permanence. We like this thing called permanence when really nothing in the world is permanent. Mhm. So, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about adjusting and changing. 
Yeah, um, so part of the change that I have dealt with for a couple years now from being going to school away from home is... Do you want to tell people where home is? Yeah, home is in Florida. So and where are you now? In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's far. That <laughs> is pretty far. <laughs> um, so essentially, this change that I have been um, experiencing for about three years now is just a big period of adjustment for me and this year has been another period of adjustment because i'm starting the master's program so anything that has to do with adjusting has always been really really hard for me but if i look back i can always think of some point that has been good that has come to me because of that change or that adjustment so my point of saying change is dot 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 good question mark that's how I wrote it is that even though it's really hard and it's it's just a really big it's a big change that happens and obviously like for me it's not easy but I can always think of something good that comes from it Mm -hmm. yeah I mean the the Buddhists say that you know life is suffering and and like the illusion of things not changing is what causes suffering right so the illusion of things staying the same causes you this great amount of pain and when you can kind of yield to that changing of the tides Osho uses this analogy Um, there's a great oak tree and it's standing tall it's been standing tall for 200 years and it's the biggest tree in the forest and its roots are go so deep and its trunk is so strong and then there's grass that has been growing for about six months and its roots are really shallow and it's very flexible. Well, when the hurricane comes, the winds will come and knock over the tree, but the grasses yield to the wind and they stay put. They don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so this is the great analogy. It's like, how can you allow change to happen while still, you know, like still remaining who you are, but then allowing yourself to change and being comfortable with that change instead of being so deeply rooted that, you know, you break when something alters. Mm-hmm. I think it's also important to note that it's okay to break sometimes because you allow yourself to be healed and mm-hmm. become that grass. Yeah. Yeah, because the fallen tree goes into the soil, feeds the grass. Mm-hmm. Like right over time, that's what happens. Yeah. yeah, and then that tree becomes something that allows itself to be changed. Mm-hmm. Nature. Nature. All the microorganisms you were telling me about yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm writing a research paper on soil and biodynamic farming and organic agriculture. Yawn. (laughs) (laughs) For my environmental (laughs) chemistry class. So then I'm going to talk about how soil is really the missing component to climate change and solving the climate crisis. Dot, dot, dot. That's a big, very big statement to make. Yeah. Yeah, so... I don't know if I should talk about that now or later. I think I'll save it for later. I'll keep everybody on their toes. Yeah. So I want to talk about one more thing that I kind of came across this week. Go for it. And it's that some very intelligent people believe in God. So I think a common misconception is that like intelligent people don't believe in God. Like scientists and really smart philosophers are so sophisticated in their thinking that they don't need God. Right. They have this they like because God and religion is this framework for people who don't 
spend enough time in thought, right? So they don't think about the world enough. So they need to hang on to this God thing. This was kind of evidenced in the discussion that Joe Rogan had with Richard Dawkins in episode 1366 of the Joe Rogan experience. Um, And they're basically like, yeah, religion is this scaffolding. And people kind of just like throw their beliefs on this scaffolding because it, it like isn't moving that much. So I came across, you know, and then Bishop Robert Barron, who is the Bishop of Los Angeles, has a podcast, the Word on Fire podcast. And in episode 203, he actually talks about Joe Rogan and Richard Dawkins and God. And I haven't listened to this yet, but I heard some clips from it. And Bishop Barron's really cool because he is this brilliant man, super, super, super smart. He's a really intelligent guy, and he believes in God. And then I'm taking this class that I've talked about before, Philosophy of God and Aquinas. And Thomas Aquinas was a brilliant man. Like, he understood the full essence of the Catholic faith, and he understood the full essence of Aristotelian philosophy. And he kind of marries these two ideas together. He's like, well, wait, I believe the truth of the Catholic faith, and I believe in Aristotelian physics. So he basically ties these ideas together and i don't know it just makes me think that there's some really smart people out there who believe in god <laughs> i just let you go on that rant I was okay with it. so you stopped my rant to cough no i i just told you to wrap it up because it was getting kind of summa cum laude long <laughs> but anyways i agree with what you're saying i don't really know how i can add to this to make it a conversation but <laughs> I think it's a really important point to bring up because people who are very grounded in science and people who are very grounded in faith don't often tie the two together. This reminds me of a conversation we had the other day of when people are having a hard time or if they're in a rough situation, they look to some bigger being to comfort themselves and make them feel like everything is going to be okay. And even though, yeah, in most cases, like everything's going to be okay, everything's going to turn out to be okay maybe scientists and researchers and academics who have spent so many years studying a couple areas that they're really interested in maybe they maybe they find that comfort in research or in whatever they're studying instead of that higher being maybe that's what they reach out to and maybe the people who aren't necessarily academics reach out to that bigger being more often to find that comfort Mm mm-hmm yeah, this is a little like the Jesuit ideal of finding God in all things. So, Camille, um, what do you think we could take this week with us and be grateful for? I think for me, it will be allowing to sit in my emotions and be more like grass when change happens. Because I know that looking back on my experiences in the past, something good has always come from change. And say mahalo. Yeah, and say mahalo. What did you learn this week? Yeah, don't be afraid to ask questions. Right, and then create a space that questions can be asked. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the bulk of it. So maybe the next time I ask a good question, I can just be grateful for the question instead of necessarily looking for the answer. All right, Camille, what do you say we wrap this up? Let's wrap this up. Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode three. Episode three. We'll see you guys next week. It's all mahalo. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in this week. We'll be launching our website soon, but if you'd like to follow along, we have an Instagram. Just follow us at It's All Mahalo. Have a good week.